this morning, I want to remind you of the words of David as we start, and we're going to jump right into this. In, in Psalm 139, David said, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way within me and lead me in the way of everlasting. See, what David knew, and it becomes a narrative throughout all of Scripture, is that we have to be teachable. That God was right, we were wrong, and the only way that we start to live right is to allow ourselves to submit to Him and let Him have His way with us, let Him expose those things that are within us. And so from David to John the Baptist to Jesus to Paul to James... This is a narrative that we've got to allow God to have his way with us. Last week we looked at this and we saw that God allows trials in our lives to bring about or expose more of his own life within us. That it leads to holiness, which is the goal. That more of him and less of us as John the Baptist prayed or this is the sanctification process we find in scripture. Not that the trial originated with God but he allows it and he's sovereignly over it and he loves his people and to protect him. But he allows it to happen because we are not only saved at regeneration like at the moment we give our life to him but we are being saved the Bible says as Paul wrote. That we are continue like Jesus said laying down our, our own will and choosing his like daily taking up our cross as disciples and following him. So we discussed last week how the impurities expose themselves in the purification process of precious metal when it is heated up. And just like that, we see in our own lives the impurities that exist within us as we face trial. This week, James is pointing out just how prevalent those impurities actually are within us. As he describes what, what is within man or what's in the character of man, like what's deep down, as opposed to What's in the character of God in verses 13 through 18? So today we're looking at temptation and the difference between temptation and trial. Jesus never entices our flesh. He's not going to entice our flesh. Yet he allows it to be challenged through tough circumstances. Like how many of you have ever gotten bad news or you've sat in traffic and you get frustrated and you get, you get tested and you've gone, man, just three days ago I prayed for patience and now... Instead of just giving me patience, like a download, God gave me an opportunity to exercise patience. They either beckon a reaction within our flesh, or it beckons us to submit to a spirit, respond by bearing fruit of a spirit, because we know that we can't do it on our own. We know, how many of you know you? And you know what you and a reaction from you looks like. And you know that a response in Jesus' spirit looks entirely different. Now, that's trial. But while temptation is something else, it's the drawing us away for the fulfillment of immediate gratification. Like that extra piece of pie that we know we shouldn't have. I'm talking about. Or something even darker, which is what comes to our mind the moment I say temptation of the flesh. That we believe that we can get away with in the dark when no one is looking. You see, let me give you the difference. Tempting is the enticement of the flesh, while trial is the challenging or the offending of our flesh. And the thing is, when you go back to like even the garden and you look at that picture of the garden and what happened to the fall of man as God came to Adam and Eve and he starts to ask them, what has taken place? What have you done? It's not that he wasn't aware. He literally just asked them to own it. He asked them to say it for themselves. And what they do? They vilified God, right? What, what, did, what happened when God spoke to Adam? He goes, well, this woman that, you know, you gave me, gave me this fruit. 
So indirectly, it's kind of your fault. You know, or he goes, okay, Eve, well, this snake that you made deceived me, so therefore, it's on you. And let me ask you a question. How many of you, not you, but you've met some people who have a tendency to blame stuff on God? And James is going to tell us we should never blame God. We have a tendency to shift blame all the time. We, can, we, we have a tendency to seek to pass off the sin or the offense on someone else. We rarely own it. We rarely take it ourselves. We've gone as far as to blame him for our temptations. And James says, don't you dare blame God because temptation isn't even within the character of God, but it is very much within you. We want to believe that it's not caused by us, that we're not the cause, but James tells us otherwise. And the only way that we can allow ourselves to, to respond to temptation the way that God expects us to is to own it and admit it, to put it there before him and say, I can't beat this. We must own our own sin and its cultivation. And let me, let me just ask you one question before we read James 13 through 18. James 1, 13 through 18. How many of you know you so much that you know the things that tempt you, whether it be the temptation of the flesh, temptation of the eyes, temptation of your own pride and arrogance. How many of you know what tempts you? And you know what you, have, you found yourself at this altar repeatedly trying to lay down before God, but it continually shows up again in your life because your flesh is easily enticed. Just me? Okay, so I have a few. So James 1, 13 through 18 says this, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. Who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. I was thinking before I give you my points. And we kind of walk through all of the challenges. Like God how can I. Where have I experienced this in my own life? How can I give this away in a personal fashion? And God took me back to a story that. That happened when I was just 16. I wasn't a Christian. I wasn't following the Lord. So this whole story is based on Justin living in lost land. Okay? When I was 16, I was, I was like really active, really busy, playing baseball time, surfing. I was constantly doing something. And I would go to sleep at night, just hit the pillow, and I was out. You know? Like my grandmother used to tell me all the time, like the house could be on fire. You won't get up. You know, anyone know, I'm talking about just dead, tired, exhausted, physically just drained so that you're sleeping heavy. But one night while I was in one of those deep sleeps at 16, I was startled and awakened really quickly by loud noises in my house, voices in my house, and lights flashing through the outside of my window reflecting off my neighbor's house. And I was like, what is going on? I jump up, I run to the living room, and I see my grandfather being taken out on a stretcher. And my grandmother like just frantically freaking out and so I grab my grandmother and I say hey 
I don't know what's going on, but like, get in the car. I'll drive us. We'll follow the ambulance. We'll go to the hospital. We get to the hospital. We're in the waiting room. We're sitting there waiting to hear what is happening. Doctor comes out, and he's looking to explain the situation. Now, my grandmother's already frantic. My grandmother, some of you have met her. Here's some things that you may know about my grandmother. She was sometimes sweet, okay? Sometimes sweet. You may not know she was always stubborn and never sane. Like, that was just never a thing in her, okay? She was sometimes sweet, always stubborn. Sane was not a part of her reality. So when the doctor comes out and he's looking in the, in the like, waiting room to talk to someone about this, she's running up to him and frantic. He looks right past her and goes, this is not my first option, but I'll talk to you. So the 16-year-old, he goes, you come with me. So I walk back with the doctor, and he goes, here's what I want to show you what's going on in your grandfather's life right now. And they show me this TV. He said, he's on the table right now. We have a camera inside him. Have you ever heard the word arteriogram? I was like, nope. And he goes, well, that's what's happening right now with him. And in this arteriogram, what we're doing is we have a camera down him so we can see his heart. We're going to show it to you. Here it is. On the screen, there's his heart. I'm watching it while I'm, while I'm in this, on this TV. It's happening in live action. They said, I said, okay, what am I supposed to be looking for? I said, wait for it. They had shot a dye of ink into his bloodstream, and they were waiting for that to reach his heart. Once, they said, just wait for the dye. Once the dye hit his heart, I'm looking at his main artery, which is just doing what I think it's supposed to do. I'm not a doctor. I don't know. But that dye exposed something that I couldn't see to the naked eye. And when it did, when it hit the heart, that main artery was about 96% closed. And so I was looking at this going, wait a second, it looks like it's functioning fine. They go, no, no. At best, if we go, if we just trim away some of this right now based on where it's placed, he's going to have about 10 to 12% functionality in that main artery. So you have two choices. You can either send him home right now, we'll do that scrape, and we're going to change his diet up, and we're going to encourage you. We're going to give him an exercise regimen. But he's going he's gonna to live with 10 to 12% functionality in that heart. I was like, is that going to shrink this blockage? I said, no, it's just going to keep it from getting larger. Or you can perform surgery right now, and we'll go in and cut all that out. And I said, and, and then what? And, and then... What's led to this blockage was his lifestyle to this point. So, like, you're, we're going to cut this out. He'll have 100% functionality. We're going to send him home. And then we're going to teach you some things that he needs to do regiment-wise. And he has to eat differently. But what say you? And I was like, now listen, I'm not a Christian. I'm not attending church regularly. This is, this is not a part of my world. But I'm just doing math. And I'm like... I like the chances of 100% functionality way more than I do 10%. So I said, let's perform surgery right now. Cut it out. Let's put him back there. We'll let him recover. We'll go through rehab, whatever we need to do, and then we'll see that lifestyle change. You see, the trials we spoke of last week is what James is saying that die serves as. They expose the blockage, the sin that we maybe didn't see wasn't evident to the naked eye. Maybe even have an ability to hide it, but it gets exposed when we come up next to it. He'll go on in the scriptures and he'll say, the scriptures are like a mirror revealing these things. That give us the ability to see what's below the surface that we cannot see by naked eye. 
And the remedy, James says, is God himself cutting that out. In verses 16 through 18, what we just read, instead of simply applying some external exercise or external circumstances to try to fit and fix the internal, what James is saying is adjusting the external will never fix what's on the internal. It can help, it can help modify it and help it from getting worse, but it's never going to fix it. And too often, I think, in the Western Christian world, this was Jesus' problem with the Jews of their day and their interpretation of the law and the practice thereof. They were ascribing external answers religiously, the rite and ceremony, and what they said and how they prayed to fix an internal problem. And so, back to David. He says, Lord, search me and know me. Here's the thing. The Lord knows you and you know you. This morning, we have an opportunity to be teachable and let God expose what's actually under the surface. But it's our choice how we respond to it. And we basically have two choices. James points out in verses 13 through 15, our first choice. He says that temptation leads to sin which leads to death. He says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted. It's not a part of who he is. But each person is tempted when dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it's full grown, it leads to death. So first, we have to own where it's coming from. When God came to Adam and Eve, they shifted to blame. He says, don't do that. We have to own that it came from us. And we shouldn't blame anyone else for the temptations we face and that we eventually flee or fail, that we have to own it. And there are basically three types of temptation that man faces. They are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the lust of a person's pride. We're going to talk about each. So first of all, the lust of the flesh. Let me, let me read a little thing that I found for you. It says, like a mouse unsuspectingly seeks food in the dark, our sin inquisition is birthed. We receive a hint of its smell, enticed to further investigate, to closer, to the closer we peer, the stronger the smell becomes, and the point of salivation and anticipation of that first bite begins to happen. Our hunger rages as we inch towards the source, the cheese, that'll quench our rumbling tummies. And just as we allow our lips to taste that first bite, snap. That's what he is saying happens when we allow the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes to have its way. The process is the same, still leads to death. And that death for a Christian can be physical. One more piece of pie, another car, a boat bigger and better, whatever it is. Like, listen, how many of you have ever found yourself at lunch and they go, would you like another piece of pie? And you go, I know I shouldn't, but come on. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I know, I do what I know I shouldn't, but I won't do what I know I should. Exactly what Paul was saying there. And this is what James is talking about. That God loves us enough. Here, listen. God loves us enough to let us choose him. And if we won't choose him, he loves us enough to let us destroy ourselves. Because that sin that we continue to choose versus his way, versus him, when full grown, it gives a birthing cycle that leads to destruction and death. And people go, well, that, that doesn't sound like a loving God. I mean, that, no, listen, verse 13 affirms God isn't 
directly or indirectly responsible for our temptations to sin or us to manifest said sin. He's the author of life, new life in Christ, regenerating people from the bondage of sin and death, having nothing to do with sin or evil. He is unwavering. He is the way out. He created escape. All the good gifts come from the Father. Verse 16, so do not be deceived. You need to repent and turn away. Chan, in his study, as we're walking through this in life group, said, look, it's like a fish going after a lure. They just so enticed, they never even think about the potential danger of the hook. We get so enticed by the potential of the lure that we forget about the under and overarching dangers that exist. Death. So you may be enticed to go after that immediate gratification of sin, but it'll never end good. It ends in death. So you have to swim away. You have to, here's the beauty of a relationship with God. He says, don't just swim away. God never just calls you away from something. He always calls you to himself. So he says, swim to me. I have all and only that which is good for you. The death for a believer can be physical. And I'll prove it to you. Here it is. <laughs> How many of you have been that person that goes, Oh, I know I shouldn't, but go ahead, bring it. Bring that extra piece of pie. And here's the thing. I have a friend who's a dietitian, and he lives by a Levitical diet. He's the most disciplined person I know on the planet. He told me this. It's never Christmas that ruins anything for someone. It's every day before that. So you've been taking that extra piece of pie for 20 years. And you won't say no to the sweets because you have a sweet tooth. And that's something we joke about. This is no longer a treat when you don't say no for 20 years. This is a habit. But we get it anyways. And then you go to see your doctor. And 20 years have passed by of you doing this. And they say, well, now you're diabetic. You have high cholesterol, high fat levels. Your arteries are blocked. And you're needing to make some changes. Starting with surgery. And then dietary and exercise. We don't turn at that point... Like, I wouldn't in that point when they said this to me of my grandfather and say, well, looks like I'm in a trial. We don't look at it and go, oh, God's testing me now. No, you literally said yes for 20 years every time to the extra piece of pie you know you shouldn't have. No, this is you giving in to your own evil, tempted desires repeatedly, and it's leading to physical death, just like James says it will happen. You've been killing yourself by not saying no. And you go, okay, well, I mean, I, that's just a piece of pie. Wasn't, what about something more intense? Here it is. Look, how many of you know someone in an abusive and codependent relationship that found themselves in that relationship because they were insecure and someone gave them attention? And in giving them that, that person attention, they became completely codependent on that person's flattery of them. But it didn't take long before they found themselves in misery because that person abuses everything about who they are. They have literally died inside, emotionally, spiritually. They have no hope. And who knows, in an abusive relationship, depending on the abuse, it could lead to their physical death. This, look... You chose it. We go, God, save me. He keeps sending you friends to go, you need to get out of this. You need to get out of this. He is trying to literally save you physically from this problem. But you never listen, and you keep going back. You keep having the extra piece of pie. You keep going back to the one that leaves you miserable because 
He says you're pretty. But this is just in the life of the Christian. Here's what's worse. For the lost, like I was that night that they gave me this option with my, with my grandfather, what I didn't know at that moment is that my life was already in a death process physically. I was already decaying. I didn't think about my own mortality at 16. I didn't recognize till I was facing it there with my grandfather that one day I will die. I will stop. That's a part of the sin problem. That's a, it's a part of the curse. Death is coming. But here's what was going to happen if I didn't meet Jesus in the meantime. That death was also going to be spiritual. A death of my soul and a death that was going to be eternal. One forever. So here's the problem for the lost person. And this should motivate everyone in this room that has a loved one who does not know the Lord or a friend. They experience death on all three levels. Physical, spiritual, and eternal. They get both the death of the soul and the death of the body because they have not found the answer in Jesus. And here's the thing. The third temptation, the temptation of a person's pride. Where we think we can handle it. Where we think we can do it. That it may have been a struggle before, but it's not a struggle now. It's almost like a double dog dare. Or you flip it to the people that Jesus was talking about with the religious leaders in Judaism. Or <laughs> many legalistic Christians today in America. And that is this. We get tempted to fix it ourselves. We get tempted to deny the fact that we have a temptation that we're weak. And we try to fix it ourselves to prove our own value, our own worth. And guess what? That legalism, because I'm going to use the word Christian, still leads to death. We may be enticed to strive to fix that problem ourselves by a litany of prescribed religious practices. But this isn't worship of him. This is worship of you. Because when that is the case, who is still in control? You and I are. My grandfather needed surgery to remove the blockage. No list of dietary changes or exercise was going to work prior to having that blockage removed. And I wasn't dumb enough to risk his life on 10% chance of survival by evading surgery because that just seemed hard. Just making some external changes hoping for the best. It's ludicrous. But Christians do it all the time. Trying to do something, say something to remedy their own internal issue. People who show up in gatherings like this all the time who say, well, I prayed a prayer. Did your heart at ever change? Did your desire for him at any point, anywhere, ever become him? Did you ever want him? Or was it just an external emotional thing that you could do to appease yourself and others in that moment? And you've been banking your entire eternity on that. Yet no regeneration ever happened in that moment. There was no heart change, no new life. You're the same, but you show up at church and religious environments all the more with your proverbial fingers crossed when surgery is necessary. The heart transplant is imperative. And then comes lifestyle changes after that. Because you're learning in the sanctification process that James talked about in the first 12 verses what it means to walk in Jesus. No longer your old ways. But the external choices must follow internal submission. It doesn't and will never work the other way around. That's not God's order in this. So verse 16 is very important. It says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. 
He gave us a choice. And the second choice is his. His choice looks like this. It's truth, which is Jesus, leads to life, which leads to eternity, eternal life. We as fallen man had an internal problem, so we required an internal fix. This was the only real solution. Nothing external that we say or do religiously is going to fix our problem. There's no religious rite, ceremony, or action that can change man's basic evil nature. It has to be removed. Man cannot become righteous by acting or speaking righteously. He is righteous, and he alone makes us righteous. When we accept that he took our place... He said we must be born again with an entirely new heart, a new nature, an entirely new being. Write this down. We can never repair the eternal with the external. Good gifts come from the Father. So don't be deceived. This is a key verse. Do not be deceived. Everything good comes from him. It does not come from you. You may go, well, I'll make a good decision. No, that anything good came down from the Father of lights, namely Jesus And he has taught us to walk in a new way. He gave us that. You may be enticed to go after the immediate gratification in sin. Even if that sin is to be self-righteous. That will lead in death. Swim away, swim to me. I have all that is good for you. He said, I'm not just going to call you away from someone. I'm going to call you to me. He says, no temptation is overtaken except that which is common to mankind. Verse 10 uh, Chapter 10, verse 13 of 1 Corinthians. And God is faithful. He would not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. A way of escape. His way of escape is and will always be himself. He gave us his Holy Spirit to immediately convict you to evade sin. When you are about to do something like, I I know I shouldn't have that extra piece of pie. You have a choice right there. He always convicts us to evade sin. And his his spirit within us eternally secures us to evade death for all time. The view of God is that he doesn't simply call us away from something. He always calls us to himself, the good gift giver. So write this down. Stop believing or trying to use external things to fix your internal problem. The self-righteous Religious acts, words, ceremonies may not even be quote-unquote bad things in your mind. But they have the same result as the bad things that you can denote. We chase them, ultimately succumb to them. They all lead to death. Internal submission is a solution to internal sin problem. It's a worship problem. Because we worship ourselves when we don't submit to Him. It leads, when we submit to Him, to a new heart, a new way, a new object of our affection, which is Him and no longer me a new perspective a new hope a new being external answers do not exist my internal worship problem no amount listen to this and i I need there is no amount of hail marys that you can pray or penance that you can pay that will heal your sin problem internally and eternally and the only way that we have this thing removed is to give it to him. And the only way we continue to be saved from it is to give it to him. Daily take up your cross and follow him, laying your will down for his. He chose to give us birth, it says, through the word of truth. He gave us life by sacrificing his. He came to this world, submitted to the Father to do surgery, to move us from a place of sin and to remove sin from us. 
Once the blockage of the heart is revealed by the conviction of his spirit within us, we submit ourselves to him and it gets removed. He casts as far as the east is from the west, holding no more condemnation against us. We become born again with a brand new life, a new start, a clean slate. The evil man within is forgiven forever. And here's the thing. This morning, that may be good news for some people who are either listening online or right here in this room. Maybe today you need a new, to hear that. Maybe you need a clean slate. Maybe you need to be saved. Maybe you need Jesus. What is necessary is ongoing dependency within him. And we, as his followers, have to daily submit again and again and again. Our sins are forgiven for those of us who are in Christ Jesus and have his spirit. But the temptation still remains. It only begins to weaken its hold on us when our lives are more and more transformed into his likeness. We let him have his way, desiring that which he wants more than what our old nature craves. So this morning, in conclusion, here it is. I'm going to ask the band to come back. We have to own our sin and our temptations. They are our own. We cannot blame anyone else. We definitely can't blame God for that. Didn't start with him. Didn't come from him. If we give in to them, they lead to death. If we try to religiously fix it by doing a certain number of prayers or paying a certain amount of penance by some external means religiously, ceremonially, ritually, they still lead to death. But we don't have to do either. We can trust him. We can submit to him. And his ways lead to life. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. And we thank you for loving us. We just ask that you would have your way within us. That this morning, like David prayed, you'd search us, know us, and reveal any offensive way within us. I pray that you would find a people obedient to lay that before you. Surrender it to you. Because in Jesus' name, that's the only way that is removed. And it may take more than doing it today. It may take doing it tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that until we look more like you and less like the things our old nature craves. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I just want to ask, I mean, just talking with you, what do you need to surrender to him today? What can you just not beat without him? That you have a tendency every single time to take the bait on. You know what I'm talking about? I know you do. And you alone know what no one else sitting in your row knows. No one else sitting behind you. You know you. What will cause you to take the bait every time. Right now, you can turn to him. As we respond and they lead us in prayer, your internal problem needs an internal solution. So let him perform surgery. Maybe for the first time on his church. Maybe for the millionth time. But this morning, my prayer is God performs surgery. And if you are here and you go, man, he's performing surgery and I need some help. I need prayer. I offer this every week. It's not for my own health. Prayer at thefellowship.cc. Let us walk with you. We are all going through it. He did not leave us as islands unto ourselves. Let's respond.